Hey, this is Mike Birbiglia, and you're listening to PF's Tape Recorder, which is one of the better tape recorders. Hello there, I'm PF, this is my tape recorder. Coming up, Chris Bliss and Josh Weinstein discuss their longtime friendship, including tales from their very first tour together through Minnesota, Wisconsin, and Michigan. No, I was a pretty good drinker from a young age. Like, so, I, said, like, like I said, I didn't look 18, so... Chris was the only one who carded me. Bouncers generally didn't. Right, I only carded you because of the damn reference base. I was going, how does an 18-year-old know stuff, you know? I had already been on Mystery Science Theater at that point, so my wow. reference chops were pretty uh, solid. We'll hear more from Josh and Chris in just a little bit and about all the projects they are both working on, including the documentaries that uh, Josh slash J. Elvis Weinstein is working on, as well as the Bill of Rights Monument Project that Chris is working on. Oh, and we have an update on the local election we talked about a couple of weeks ago in the Dumb Bits, so stay tuned at the end of the show for that. The song of the week is from The Lighthouse and The Whale from Cleveland, Ohio, but first, a dumb bit uh, also involving Cleveland, Ohio, but not against Cleveland, Ohio, of course, about the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame and Museum. As you know, we're friendly with a couple of uh, music podcasts, uh, most notably Dad Rock over there at USA Today with Jim Lenahan and Patrick Foster, and of course Rock Solid with Pat Francis and his rotating uh, round of co-hosts. And uh, both podcasts have um, been discussing the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame recently because, of course, it's uh, nomination time for the, uh, the class of, I guess, 2016 it'll be. And um, I've never really gotten too wrapped up in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame situation, even though I'm from Cleveland and I love that we have it. And I love that we beat Memphis and New York to get it. Um, you know, the whole name of the building is the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame and Museum. And I'm more interested in the latter part of that, the, the museum part. The Hall of Fame thing, you know, I could take or leave. And I think it's probably because um, even though my, my favorite uh, bands from like the 60s and some from the 70s are in there, you know, the, what I call the Big Five, the Beatles, Beach Boys, Rolling Stones, Who the Kinks are all in there. And some other performers from the 60s, I believe Del Shannon is in there. Let me look here. But people like that are all in there. Yeah, Del Shannon's in there. So all those people are in there, Simon and Garfunkel. But a lot of bands that I like from the 80s are never, ever going to be in there. Ever. Uh, Depeche Mode, maybe, because the Smiths are nominated, nominated this year. Uh, but, I, you know, I don't think or OMD's never, ever going to be in there. And I thought, well, this is kind of strange because uh, one of the big things, the big uh, controversies this year, let me get to the uh, inductee list here or the... Uh, where is it here? Here it's on this tab here. The uh, nominees for 2016, uh, you've got people that, that should already be in there, quite honestly, even though I'm not huge, huge fans of these groups. I still like them a lot. The Cars I like a lot. Chicago, Cheap Trick, uh, along with Steve. I think Steve Miller should be in there. I, I'm not mad at Steve Miller. I liked him in the 70s. Didn't stop liking him when I became a new wave daddy. So, uh, And then like people like N.W.A., Janet Jackson, people think, and Shaka Khan, people think, oh, well, you know, it's, it's the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Well, here's the problem. In England... Uh, you may have noticed over the years that everything in England hit the charts is is pop music. Rock and roll is a kind of a subgenre of it. And here in this country, we have pop music, and then we have rock music and country music. It's all very separated. Uh, we don't look at it the same way. And for years since you know the 80s, I've always looked at it kind of more like the British way. Well, it's all pop music because in the 50s it was your hit parade. Your hit parade just became filled with rock and roll music, but it was still popular music. It was still music that was charting. It was still popular music that people liked. So I think that's part of the problem. I think if we viewed it as more of a pop music hall of fame, uh, these bands would people would say, oh, no problem. You know, NWA should, should totally be in Shaka Khan and Janet Jackson and people like that. And, and even some of the more uh, sort of, I guess, country-influenced artists would be in there. Uh, so 
and the other thing with that is, um, as far as it being more of like a, a pop music hall of fame, of course, is that rock and roll is very uh, is a very American invention, uh, ironically invented by people uh, mostly of African heritage, uh, and now they're kind of like you know turning an eye towards saying, well, maybe should you know maybe soul group maybe it should be you know uh, it should not be because it isn't like rock, it isn't you know heavy guitars and things you know as, as Andy McCluskey says about what people didn't like about OMD and techno pop in the 80s was it's not manly, it's not sweaty, it's not working class. So I think we still call it the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. We invented rock and roll. It was, you know, it was, the term was coined in Cleveland. And, uh, you know, it's, it's definitely should be the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in the museum because I think in this country that's what we recognize popular music as. But it's still the Pop Music Hall of Fame. So really any of these nominees is worthy. I just think that, I don't know if Shaka Khan had quite the career um, that, uh, you know, uh, that some of the other people uh, of her generation did, but certainly uh, I would you could argue Janet Jackson, N.W.A. for sure, the Spinners, the Smiths, like I said, are nominated. They should for sure be in. But I think they're, they're only one of those type of bands that's going to be in. Maybe the Cure in a while. And like I said, maybe Depeche Mode. Uh, Chicago should have been in there long ago. Cheap Trick, the Cars, but uh, just saying. And and the, what it all boils down to, actually, and we're talking about all these different genres of music and whether they should be in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. I turned to a gentleman that I was a fan of in the '70s and was a fan of even after I became a New Wave daddy. But um, just kind of, I waned on him kind of in the late 80s when he started making some crappy records, as, uh, as a lot of his fans did. And, uh, but one of his uh, songs that I really liked a lot, uh, I think explains it best. Hot fuck, cool fuck, even if it's old junk, it's still rock and roll to me. Now, I used to quote that to people all the time back in the day, and people always thought I was being silly or, or joking, but I'm actually absolutely serious. He's exactly right. If it's, you know, it's it, pop music really is, it's all rock and roll. It's the new, new wave, uh, you know, punk, uh, you know, country fried rock, heavy metal, you name it. It's, you know, it's rock music. Even people like Selena Gomez and the, the teeny bopper stuff, all that stuff, it's, it's rock and roll. So I, if we look at it from that point of view, I think we open up the, the nomination process. People aren't as upset about who's getting nominated. Uh, and, you know, well, they're still getting upset about who's not nominated. And then I think it, it opens up even more for that kind of thing. But like I said, the, the Hall of Fame part, eh, I, I don't, I'm really not, you know, too wrapped up. And I'm much more concerned of the fact that, you know, they have a, a nice museum collection. If you ever are in Cleveland, like I said, I, I've always advised, don't really, you don't want to drive to Cleveland just for that unless you're a huge, huge music fan. But if you're in the area with your a couple hours drive, you're going somewhere in Cleveland, can you can drop off in Cleveland for a while. A great place to go. Uh, the museum is great. A lot of great artifacts. It's cool to see the stuff like, you know, the, the, the guitars these people played or the other instruments they played or the notes about the songs they wrote. Just all these other little artifacts from the era. It's just, it's just cool. And we have a lot of other fun stuff to do in Cleveland. If you're there in the summer, of course, go to the stadium and see the Indians who usually win. They did pretty good last year. Um, we have a nice zoo. Uh, we have a terrific art museum, uh, so you all kinds of great things to do in Cleveland apart from the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. So, uh, like I said, let's not get too wrapped up in the, you know, the nomination process and whether, you know, people are rock enough to be in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, because as Billy says, Next phase, new wave, dance great, anyways, it's still rock and roll to me.
Chris Bliss and Josh Weinstein, better known as J. Elvis Weinstein, to avoid confusion with the Josh Weinstein who wrote for The Simpsons, among other things. Uh, they've been uh, friends for over 25 years, J. Elvis and Chris Bliss have. They first got together to do a tour of Minnesota, Wisconsin, and Minnesota, a couple of one-nighters, and they've been friends ever since. We had a chance to talk to them about this unique show they do at the Acme Comedy Club there in Minnesota, in which they each take the stage and do some stand-up and then comment on each other's acts and uh, talk about some other stuff as well. Here now is our interview with J. Elvis Weinstein and Chris Bliss. And, uh, Hello. Yeah, I'm going to try and do this for my podcast as well, so uh, hopefully this will all work out. Um, all right, so how you doing, guys? Doing great. How are you? Pretty good. Good to talk to you both hey, again. I, I, I will mirror that false enthusiasm. <laughs> All right. Um, well, for the benefit of the podcast listener, uh, you know, you guys do this uh, one-off show once a year up there in Minneapolis where you guys kind of take turns doing stand-up, but literally take turns. You're both on stage at the same time. and uh, so, But you only do it in Minneapolis. Why have you, have, have you done this other places? Um, well, I pretty much only do club stand-up in Minneapolis these days. Um, I do sets in LA, but most, the only time I really go out and do a full week at a club, with you know rare exception, is is at Acme. So, uh, and the most I've found now the most fun way to do it is this show with Chris. Okay. Yeah, and that's the same for me also on uh, PF. So, uh, it, 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 especially the fun part. Well, yeah, because you guys both are uh, have other interests. Although I know uh, you, Josh, have said that you've been doing more stand up uh, these past uh, couple of years. But um, uh, what other projects are you involved in? Uh, first, we'll go with Josh. What's the latest and greatest with you? Uh, well, I'm, I've been making a documentary, feature documentaries, the last few years. Oh, that's I've right. Made yeah, one yeah. That's kind of a... say again. Yeah, that's right. I forgot about that. Yeah, so I made. Uh, I'm and I'm currently uh, editing a doc about that involves Acme Comedy Club and Lewis Lee, the owner of the club, taking uh, three Acme favorite comics on a tour uh, of Asia. Oh, that's right. Okay. So I'm doing a doc about that tour and and subsequently about the uh, the sort of burgeoning comedy scenes around Asia. Okay. And uh, how'd the Michael DeBars one turn out? Uh, it turned, I, I think it turned out quite well. I won Best in Show at the Maker. I was going to say, you mean the award-winning Michael DeBarn? <laughs> yeah, there you uh, go. Documentary? <laughs> there you go. Uh, it's been really well-received. I haven't found distribution for it yet, but I'm just sort of getting into that process in earnest right now. Okay, I was going to say, I was wondering if there's someplace folks could see it. No, we're still working on it. All right, I'm, sounds I'm, good. Uh, I'm optimistic. And now, Chris, the last time I spoke to you, you were there was the big uh, comedy concert in Washington for the First Amendment Project. And uh, where were you? I assume that's probably still consuming a lot of your time. Uh, yeah, more and more. Uh, it, it, uh, it, it's been great, and it's actually a Bill of Rights monument project. Uh, the First Amendment. That's right. I keep, being I keep an important part of that. Right, right. Uh, and uh, that concert is still airing on uh, Access TV, and will be through the end of April. Periodically, I don't have the schedule, but they came in and uh, and uh, and uh, taped it and came out really really nicely it's a two-hour concert uh special i think the i think it's called lewis black and friends let freedom laugh is what you, if yeah. you're looking for it if you have access on your cable uh um or direct tv direct tv is where it is mostly and i'm working uh on the uh next set of events and the next dates for our project and uh what i'm working on right now is a uh, with the new dick gregory foundation on a on a comedy tribute to Dick Gregory, which we're uh, oh, cool. planning to do in Birmingham, Alabama, 
uh, to help fund a monument of the Bill of Rights at the uh, at the Alabama State Capitol in Montgomery, which I'm now working on with uh, on a bipartisan basis uh, with uh, legislators and the Alabama Historical Commission down there. So, you know, it's kind of an exciting project. And I'm also going to, of all places, Oklahoma City, where we're also uh, working on um, a monument project up there. So. Yeah, that so basically, the audience is going to expect a fucking TED Talk. That's <laughs> <laughs> what they're thinking right now. Yeah. Yeah. A TED Talk about documentary films and the Bill of Rights. It's incredibly entertaining. Well, stuff. well, of course, you know what I'm going to say now, of course, is Josh, your next uh, documentary project should be about the Bill of Rights project. Uh, it should be, but as Chris will, will I'm sure, point out to me, there's not a lot of buyers there. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. When does that ever stop you, Weinstein? Yeah. That's right. <laughs> Okay, so, uh, having, go on. Uh, no, I just said uh, Josh and I have been working together on a variety of projects for so long. Uh, in particular, the, the work I'm, I'm proudest of, uh, that, uh, one of the things I'm proudest of to have ever done was uh, uh, an autobiographical piece that Josh uh, co-wrote, uh, co-wrote with me, and, uh, and uh, that was just a great experience. So we go back a long way, but I'll tell you what, it's more like a, it's more like a cage death match when we get on stage together than it is <laughs> like a TED Talk. Yeah, you know, we put the affection aside. <laughs> yeah. So while the one guy's doing his act, the other guy is there with a the live microphone. So it's sort of it's sort of if uh, it's sort of if if Twitter was live audio in front of an audience, that's kind of what people are getting. Aha. Okay. Very cool. Now, as you said, you guys go way back, and again for the benefit of the podcast listener, um, as I recall the story. You guys met doing some kind of a comedy tour you were thrown together as part of a comedy tour around minnesota and you had mutual friends or i i don't remember it exactly we had a couple of mutual friends i literally met chris in my car i was i was the middle act on a tour of one-nighters and if i recall it was fond du lac wisconsin uh lake geneva wisconsin iron mountain i believe iron mountain michigan and uh, then maplewood for the weekend i believe Wow. It was known as the Cheese Curd Tour at the time, I believe. <laughs> yes. And so I met Chris. I was I was an 18-year-old stand-up, um, and uh, Chris literally wouldn't believe me that I was 18 years old and actually carded me <laughs> in the car <laughs> to prove that I was that young. Um, but uh, we became very we became very close friends in the span of four days, and and pretty much continued since then. So that's now twenty six years. Oh geez, yes it is, and I'm no longer twice as old as you as a result. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, Chris, you had um you had started out uh, juggling, I believe, and you'd already moved into stand up by this point. By the time you met Josh. Yeah, as Josh uh, uh, told me years later, uh, what I was was uh, a passable middle with a great close. <laughs> <laughs> I think I said you're the passable middle that no one can follow because of your clothes. <laughs> uh. yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, uh, so I think I, that might have been uh, just my second or third year of uh, focusing on stand-up. Okay. And, uh, and uh, fortunately, uh, uh, well, I mean, if you're going to cut your teeth, why not Iron Mountain? Yeah, right. There you go. Because if if it plays in Iron Mountain, then it'll play anywhere. But what Chris did have, I think, as as a you know, the, the thing that that is true is that his demeanor on stage was far advanced 
more advanced than the average sort of middle act, you know, because he had been performing for years. Well, yeah. He absolutely, he absolutely had the confidence of a headliner. He's, his just material just hadn't caught up with him yet. So, who else was on that bill? I think uh, those are two-person shows, really. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I think got... it was him and I. Oh, okay. And, oh, the, I and the bartender. <laughs> right. Who was uh, up every night? <laughs> Here's a guy. I think he's Jewish. So wait, the, the bartender traveled uh, with you? Uh, I'm confused. Yeah. No, no, but a the new bartender and everything. Yeah, oh, okay, yeah. I see. There's I the see. Guy, I think he's Jewish. Josh oh. Weinstein. Huh. The funniest, actually, the funniest thing on that trip was that it was there was a there was we we played in Lake Geneva, Wisconsin over the weekend. I, um, now now that it's all coming back to me, and in the middle of a cornfield. Literally, there was a club in the middle of a cornfield in Lake Geneva, Wisconsin. And they would put, and it was owned by this old couple, really nice people. And they put us up in this apartment above the club in the cornfield. And they offered me a drink on the first night I was there. They offered me a drink, and I said, "Well, you know, I, you know, to be honest with you, I'm only 18. I really, you know, I'm not allowed. I, I, it's not legal." And they said, "Well, since you're staying here, that makes us your guardians for the weekend." <laughs> so they just started pouring scotch down my throat for the next seventy-two hours, pretty much. Oh my much. gosh! And yeah, you... and it didn't, and it, and it didn't phase him. No, I was a pretty good drinker from a young age. So. <laughs> so you already had plenty of practice. Yeah, I did absolutely. Like so, I said, like, like I said, I didn't look eighteen. So, so who put this tour Chris together? Was actually, of, Chris was the only one who carded me. Bouncers generally didn't. Oh yeah, yeah. So who put this tour together? Actually? I only carded you because of the damn reference base. I was going. How does an eighteen-year-old know stuff? You know, I had already been on Mystery Science Theater at that point, so my uh, reference chops were pretty uh, solid. Well, did did you come in with those chops though? Because you know, when I was you know eighteen and nineteen, I prided myself on the fact, at least as far as music went and some pop culture stuff, I was I could go back into the fifties and sixties, and to this day, I still get Frank Conniff's. Uh, when he's on Jimmy Dore show, I got Frank Conniff's, you know, Beverly Hillbillies, Mr. Drysdale references, even though it was kind of after my time. Uh, did you always right. have a knack for that, or? Uh, yeah, I, I always, I mean, I, I had the TV on my whole entire life growing up, um, and I just, I, I soaked it up completely, and, and then once I started hanging out with older people, it was it was very important to me to fill any gap that I saw exposed. So if I didn't know something that came up in conversation, I sure as hell would know it the next time. You know. Uh huh. So, Chris, did he strike you as an old soul or just uh, someone who's had some kind of trickery about this kind of thing? Uh, what he struck me as was, uh, and and remains today, is one of the best joke writers that I've ever uh, run into. I mean, it, it, uh, he's got four punchlines before I've even finished the premise, <laughs> you know. So it's it's really it's just uh, classically great joke writing with a very original mind behind it. And uh, also, it's what the most fun about Acme has been just that. And we actually made a pact this time that we're going to go in and we're going to somehow, you know, uh, we haven't worked out the details of it, but we're going to challenge each other for, uh, you know, new material, new subject matter each night of the week. Oh, cool. uh, just to continue what we've been growing since we've been doing there. But, uh, you know, it, it's been really, uh, you know, Josh was always a great joke writer, and now he's this, uh, you know, full-grown artist and man who brings his real life into that joke writing. And for me, that's been uh, just uh, incredibly entertaining uh, and uh, to, to just see all of that 
and and see him become such a great comic as well as uh, you know his natural talent as a writer and just as a just a Jesus Scott person. Chris, I feel like I'm fucking dead here. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> very nice. yeah. Chris yeah. is a very nice guy too. I really like Chris and admire him a lot. <laughs> I can't gush in that kind of detail, but I was just I was just at the uh, uh, taping for the Mark Twain Prize for Humor at the Kennedy Center in Washington, which was given to Eddie Murphy this year. That's going to air on PBS a little bit. And Chris Rock was one of the people on stage talking about Eddie, and he said, "You know, I was at the ESPYS and I introduced Eddie, and I was at the you know this and I introduced Eddie and." And I, you know, and I talked about Eddie at this award. He's gonna, he says, the next time I introduce Eddie Murphy, the next time I talk about Eddie Murphy, there better be a coffin in the room. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I got. It's really funny. Uh, so, and did Eddie say anything at the at the awards? I hear he he, he does very little in the way of uh, performing anymore. Yeah, he did five <laughs> minutes on Cosby, and he did Cosby. Yeah, I saw that. Oh, okay. Oh yeah. I I, I think I did hear about yeah. that. Yeah, he finally relented after not doing well, it on I, Saturday Night I mean, Live. I'm not sure how much will make of that will make it into the uh, into the final taping because uh, I'm not sure PBS. I don't know what PBS's motherfucker limit is. But <laughs> something tells me Eddie exceeded it. <laughs> All right. But it was but it was but it was very funny. Well, that's uh, well, they have to keep it. They have to keep it in now because it was a news item. So that's yeah, true, it I was guess the lead. So. Yeah, it, it was absolutely the lead. Huh. Well, that's <laughs> that's cool. Uh, so, do you guys, when you're on stage now doing this thing in Minneapolis, do you? Does, and you said you're going to try and challenge each other this time. But has it in the past generated material or new ways of looking at things after seeing the other one do it, like in, in, in real time and being there in the moment with them? Yeah, absolutely. It, it, it definitely makes it makes material more more quickly. And you know, I've always made a point of you know at least bringing in you know, a chunk of, of new stuff that I really want to work on for the week. So. And also, it, it, it allows both of us to, uh, to me, the, the best stand-up is when you see the person as well as the material on stage. You know, you don't just see the stuff where the buttons are being pushed, and, and of course, technically, it's really good. And we're so comfortable with each other. Uh, as friends, that uh, you know, it, it, it becomes a very personal show, and the material is always strengthened when uh, when the person's on stage, you know, and and uh, that, that's the real uh, you know cliche 1960s word. That's the real joy of it uh, for me is you know you don't have any there's no pretense or anything. It's just like uh, okay, and and so details about our life start coming out, and then after the show, it's like man, I didn't know that, Josh. <laughs> <laughs> So you're still finding out yeah, stuff. Yeah, you know. I'm sorry. Go ahead. You're still finding out stuff about uh, what's going on in each other's lives, like right there uh, in the moment. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's true, funny confessions. <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, but you know, the other thing for me is that my my you know my stand-up has become really conversational now over the years, so it's a pretty natural. There's, it's not a jarring transition from me talking to the audience to me talking to Chris. You know. Yeah, I, I was wondering about that developing the material thing because I know Slagle does that deal once the crash and burn thing yeah. uh, where he challenges uh, three comics to come to town with no material at all and go up each night and do something new. So um, I was just wondering how that kind of worked out for you fellas. Yeah, we haven't we, we don't formalize it quite that much, but I've yeah. done, there's a show out here in L.A. now traveling around the world called um, Setlist. Yeah. Have you heard of that? Oh, yeah, yeah. 
and that's uh, you know that's a, that's a show where they give you your topics while you're on stage. They flash them on a screen, and you have to act as if it's a bit that's been in your act for years. Um, and I've done that show a few times, um, and I like I, I I genuinely like that because you just are forced to trust yourself and your instincts completely. You know, and and the challenge is as much to turn off your edit function as it is to uh, find the funny thing. Because I think most most comics are their instincts are pretty funny, and then you know things get in the way of that. So is it almost with setless? Is almost like you're riffing on stuff, almost like mystery science style? No, not at all. It's really like you know they'll give you a topic that you couldn't possibly have. Oh, in, okay. You know, in your act, like dog baseball or some. You know, usually it's a little more perverse than that. Yeah. Um, you, know, <laughs> you know, Hitler's lunchbox. You know, and then you have to literally <laughs> act. You know, as if as if it's a bit you already have is the conceit right. they want you to do. You know, so you know, you, you know, I, I would, you know, if it was Hitler's lunchbox, I would have to launch it, and I wouldn't stare at the screen and go, Hitler's lunchbox. Let me think. You know, it would be more like. So I was reading the other day this article about the Nazi. You know, and then yeah. you work it in somehow. About how they found Hitler's lunchbox in the bunker. Yeah. Right, or I, you or you come at it, you know, from an even more obtuse angle, you know. I'd heard um, they were talking about it on Pardo's podcast, and they were talking. Somebody had done it, had just done set list, and it was someone you wouldn't think of as being. It was an okay comic, but I know he destroys at set list. I can't remember who the heck it was. It was somebody from the eighties. I'll never remember it, but uh, it's just. I guess. Yeah, it's, but it makes sense. I mean, it makes sense. You know, I think there's. You know, I, I think there's lots of people who are much funnier than their material. That, yeah, they're just not, as part of it, they're funny in their bones. Yeah, they're funny in their bones, and, you know, and they've got the mind for it, but there's a certain, you know, there's a certain, there's certain things that lead you to material on stage, you know, and, and it's not always, you know, it's because you have to create the conceit on stage first. It's not, you can't just react to things on stage unless you're just doing crowd rap the whole show, you know. Yeah. So, what else are you guys plan to do in Minneapolis? Uh, hang out with each other off stage, or you think you get have enough enough of each other on stage? Well, we both have, I know. both have friends, and I have family. You know, we all, we always have daytime agendas when we're there. Plus, there's press and radio and stuff to do. That's cool. All right. Well, uh, and, and and of course, a lot of time in the town place suites, which is just uh, you know, I mean, that's really. You know, it's purgatory training. Yeah, yeah. You call yeah, it. Yeah, I could. I had. It's the divorce simulator. <laughs> wait, what? Wait, what was that? The uh, hotel they put us in is one of those like studio apartment oh, sort okay. of residence hotels oh. with a kitchen. <laughs> so it really does after about two days feel like a divorce simulator. Oh my gosh! <laughs> Could get ready and the what if? I had a buddy that used to do. Yeah. Um, well, he actually is since divorced, but when he was married, he would look every Sunday at the want ads for apartments and just wonder what would happen if. And tragically, it, it did happen. His uh, wife developed a drug habit. And, but yeah, he would always think about the, the what if of that happening. Kind of strange. Um, if, you're looking at a, if you're looking at apartment ads during your marriage, it's not you're not on a solid foundation, I'm yeah. pretty sure. Even, <laughs> if it, even if it's just a flight of fancy. There's a, there's a flag yeah. there. Or maybe it's just, pl- just worst case scenario. Well, it's a perfect example of manifesting reality, as the Buddha would say. I was going to say, yeah, yeah. I was talking about my daughter about that the other day. Like, I don't buy this. That lady used to go on the Oprah show and say, oh, if you think it, it'll come true. And, like, I don't necessarily think that's true, but I think if you do set your mind to something, your mind will automatically make you do things that will push you toward that goal, but it won't cosmically make it appear in front of you. 
Yeah, I don't believe it. The, book, the Way, wasn't it called? Yeah, yeah, that was it. Yeah, yeah. 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 Oh, boy. Sounds like a great read. The <laughs> Way, and then I'm going to read The Secret. And, that secret, that was and the one. And I'll never have yeah. Then I'll the never secret. have to leave uh, the room again. <laughs> written by a girl who wanted a pony so bad, she actually got one once, and that was The Secret to Life. <laughs> 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 All right. Well, grateful. This has been a lot of fun. I'm glad we get we're able to uh, get this sorted. Um, and uh, again, as always, hope we get that we'd, we could get this in some uh, place like Cincinnati. But um, I guess your schedules only allow for Minneapolis. So we'll to, if anybody interested, have to travel up there. To... I'm sorry, I can't hear you over the airport announcement. I was going to say, just hopefully we'll get you this in some other cities. But I think if people want to see this, off, they go to Minneapolis for it. So. Um, Good talking, uh, Chris. I'll let you. Yeah, I, I apologize. That's okay. That. I'll let you catch your flight, Chris. Uh, Josh, good talking to you, and uh, and continued success to both of you. Hey, thanks again. All right, thanks. Again. All right, thanks, guys. Bye. Right. Bye. Bye. Thanks again to Josh J. Elvis Weinstein and Chris Bliss for being on the show. Uh, you can catch them in Minneapolis if you're lucky enough to be in Minnesota, uh, Tuesday, November 17th through Saturday, November 21st at the Acme Comedy Company. Now, beyond that, uh, J. Elvis does have a website. It's called Stinkburger, stinkburger.com. He hasn't really updated it in a while, so I'm not sure how much information he'll have on there. But if you're in the Los Angeles area, he's popping in all over the place doing sets and so forth. Chris Bliss can be found at chrisbliss.com. There you can get updates on where he's doing stand-up. Mostly did a lot of corporate events, and you can look up uh, his TED Talk. I think there's a link to it there. Did a very nice TED Talk we discussed with him last time he was on the show called uh, Comedy in Translation, so do check that out. That's why um, JL was joking about the show being like a TED Talk when they're up there in Minnesota. All right, so uh, beyond that, we are going to be going to the Song of the Week here in just a second. We have an update on that local election we talked about here in our township uh, a couple of weeks ago on the dumb bit. You remember we had a, a trustee running for re-election and uh, the local TV station uh, asked him about this project that they, the township sucks, sunk six million, it, it did suck too, sunk six million dollars into, and all we have the show for it is a big pile of concrete stuck into a side of a hill, and he being President Obama, uh, crazily, uh, kind of with all the indignation of uh, the guy across the street who yells at the kids to get out of his yard. Anyway, uh, so he lost, shockingly. And even though he had bigger yard signs and stuff, he actually uh, lost to a woman named Dee Stone. She's going to be one of the new township trustees. And uh, Mr. Jackson, of course, was all over the paper <laughs> whining and complaining that social media was the cause of his demise, that the township didn't appreciate what he'd done. But uh, most of all, he identified the, the one main thing that, uh, that really doomed his candidacy. Maybe it was the president of the United States that took the country into the the doldrums that we've gone through for the last eight years. So uh, that's what happened with uh, the election here, in case you were wondering. Okay, Song of the Week comes from a band from my hometown, Cleveland, Ohio. Of course, we discussed the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame back there in the dumb bit. Uh, this is The Lighthouse and The Whaler. Got turned on to these guys by our friends over at Dad Rock. I'm kind of ashamed I didn't really know about Lighthouse and The Whaler, a, a band from my own hometown. Uh, their big song is called Venice, if you want to look that up. Uh, this is the uh, current single from their current album called Mont Royal. And the name of the track is I Want to Feel Alive Again. It is the song of the week on PST Recorder, The Lighthouse and The Whaler. So long and thanks for listening.
place that I tried to find, dear Vic.